0: Welcome, everybody, to McKinsey on Insurance. This podcast features experts discussing trends, disruptions, and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry as we know it today. My name is Pradeep Patirth. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey in Chicago, and I'll be hosting today's conversation. We have a very international panel today on this very important topic, so I'm looking forward to a great discussion on the state of insurtech and what it means for the future. I'm joined today by Tongi Catlin, senior partner in our Boston office, partner Alex Kimura from Singapore, and Simon Kessler, who is a partner in our Frankfurt office. So, this brings us around the world as we discuss this important topic of InsurTech. Now, as most of you know, InsurTechs are tech driven companies, tech led companies that take advantage of new technologies to provide coverage or reinvent business systems. In this digital era. InsureTechs are certainly extending innovation throughout the sector. We've seen this in other sectors healthcare, retail, banking. And they're creating a competitive threat potentially to incumbents, but also creating new opportunities for everyone through partnerships. So this is an exciting time. So with that, let's get started with my esteemed panel of guests. I think we saw the massive twenty-nine billion dollar or so acquisition by square of afterpay in Australia. So cross-border transaction, large in size, not insurance, but in in banking slash payments. Is this a foreteller of what's likely to happen in insurtech and insurance? Tangi, maybe a quick round robin to get a view?
1: Well, thank you, Pradeep. I do think that three years ago, we already saw Prudential made a multi-billion dollar acquisition of insurance IQ. And so we have seen over the last couple of years, a number of incumbents recognising the value of accelerating their transformation through the acquisitions of organisations like Insuretech, and therefore, I'm not surprised to see this trend continue to uh, evolve. I think the question to me will be: for those Insuretech that are now reaching billion-dollar valuations, will they be out of reach for traditional carriers for an acquisitions, or will we see actually acquisitions be in organisations that are a little bit less mature in terms of size? which will create opportunities for the incumbent to add to their growth. But uh, not surprised at all to see this trend of carrier incumbent acquiring InsurTech. That's the natural evolution of the market.
0: Excellent perspective from the Americas. Uh, let's move to Europe. Simon, what's the view from out there?
2: Yes, I think it's very similar in Europe, what we observe. I think we have seen the first larger transactions um, also by some incumbents uh, investing into larger insure tax into digital players along the insurance value chain in the past few years, and I would expect that this continues. At the same time, we also see that many insure techs are refocusing now towards collaboration and B2B instead of B2C. We saw, I think, five years ago that in Europe, many, many insure techs focused on attacking the incumbents, and I think this has really changed. So we estimate that about two-thirds of all insure tax focus now on collaboration instead of attacking. Thank you.
0: And what about Asia Alex what's the view from out there on this
2: Yeah
3: so just on that transaction I'm not surprised I mean I see a lot of incumbents really learning and partnering really to mainly as a way to differentiate and access customer segments market segments uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise and also really develop new capabilities that they couldn't create otherwise so I, that sort of transaction doesn't really surprise me I guess the valuation is really really a function of how people really view customer lifetime value on doing some of these deals. And we haven't seen many of that in Asia yet. And we've seen a lot of the Chinese uh, insurer techs really growing by building out their own capabilities and their own market access. So, you know, there's more to come. Obviously China's leading the way. We're seeing a lot of activity coming out of Southeast Asia as well as India. So we're, we're expecting more activity in that space.
0: Thanks, Alex. And just to stay with you for a second, I think there have been very few kind of big unicorns in insurance and show sure right? There have been in banking payments. Are you seeing that differently and changing now in Asia? Are you seeing real end-to-end large-scale unicorn type insure techs emerging?
3: Yeah, there are several unicorns in China, and then we're seeing some you know, unicorns developing in India as well. But just to remind everybody, investors really didn't invest in this space, especially the venture capitals five years ago, right? So it's a relatively new space in terms of investments. An investor gets really excited when there's an exit market for these investments, and we're seeing that already. So I think that's really developing in terms of uh, the investor space, uh, and we're seeing a lot of the insurtechs really maturing. As, as you mentioned, they were mainly focusing on distribution sometimes on claims, but then now really expanding themselves across the value chain. So I would expect a trend where you, you might see insurtechs acquiring incumbents, given the lofty valuations and the access to capital that they have.
0: Oh, that's a provocative uh, thing, Alex. That's wonderful. Tangi, do you see that? I mean, McKinsey's estimates is about, what, somewhere between 8 to $9 billion of uh, insurtech funding, probably even a bit, a bit higher this year. That's the way it's trending. Do you agree with Alex on the fact that you might actually see both unicorns in the Americas on the insurtech side, but also insure techs buying incumbents?
1: I think that underlying the question is the notion of whether insure tech and insurance companies are competing with one another or whether they will eventually need to find ways to partner. And the reason I think we've seen the rise of insurtech, Pradeep, is for two reasons. One is... Unfortunately, there are still many significant customer pain points across insurance, and then there are pools of profit pools that are very, very attractive. It is both the insurance companies and the insurtechs' desire to remove the customer pain points and to protect or to capture those profit pools. And therefore, indeed, we have seen, at least I've seen, a lot more collaborations between insurtechs and carriers. And so those that have the capital will probably go on and try to integrate because the, the biggest issue I think the last couple of years has been many of the insure techs have been pawn solution when the customer pay point and the profit pool really required end-to-end experience to be connected so I, whether those are the carriers acquiring a number of insure tech or insure tech now with high valuations doing reverse acquisitions eventually the two will need to be integrated and then it will lead to a big question which is on the sideline we should not forget that you have the big tech company not the insure tech and they've been looking at those customer pain points and they've been looking at those profit pools. And an interesting question to me will be what will the role of those technology companies in the future? And will they be the disruptor against the insurtech and, and the carriers?
0: And how about in Europe? I think Europe is actually, there's very large carriers that are domiciled in Europe. The industry structure looks very different than, for example, the US. Do you think insurtechs can compete and survive in a situation like that and create propositions that actually? thrive? Or will they get squeezed out by the very large carriers that exist in most markets?
2: Yeah, I think you're fully right. There are many uh, very large carriers here and uh, they started to look into the insurtech space. I mean, the big carriers have set up their own insurtech funds and invested significantly into it. established uh, big partnerships. At the same time, we see Europe that tax have not really scaled. If you combine all insurtechs, uh, the market share is probably in the low single-digit percentages, maybe even below 1%. Um, so scale is, is currently lacking, but at the same time, the expectations are quite high. I mean, you mentioned valuations in other geographies. Also in Europe, I think we see valuation levels of 5 times, 10 times premium with some insurtechs, which is, I mean, 5 to 10 times higher than of most of the carriers. So the expectation is certainly there. You mentioned the funding in other geographies. This is also true in Europe. We saw peak-level funding last year. So there are many ingredients that will help InsurTechs on their journey to scale together with carriers, uh, collaborating, but also probably for some um, uh, to find attractive niches and attract a certain customer group. But the jury is still out. I mean, the current scale is, is not yet there.
0: So I'm loving this. I think we're getting this. We started with the Afterpay massive acquisition, touched a little bit on what we're seeing regionally in terms of differences led by that. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about where the activity is, I think, across PNC life and also across the value chain from distribution to claims to -to end-to-end and so on. Can we spend a little time just exploring that as well? Maybe, Simon, I'll stay with you for a second in Europe, given what you just said. Are you seeing more emphasis in one or the other across PNC life or
2: health? And are you seeing it in specific areas? Yes, I think it's becoming much broader now. While it started with B2C, it also started with distribution and PNC, even motor within PNC. So that was a strong focus. And many of the end-to-end plays focused on that. I think today we see activity across all lines of business and along the entire value chain. There is a bigger shift, I would say, from front-end to back-end. So while the first InsurTech focused very much on the customer interface and trying to disrupt that, And they found it difficult. I mean, customers are very sticky. They don't trust new brands. Uh, So that has been very difficult. They are now focusing more on back-end, on claims, on policy admin, on pricing, analytics. So on all these functions and also for life and health. So the picture is now much broader. You find basically insurtechs in in all areas. How
0: about uh, Tanguy? Do you want to add to that?
1: I think the picture is quite similar, Pradip. In the US today, you still have 2 thirds of insurtech focused on property casualty and then it's followed with you know about 20% for health and and life each and as Simon mentioned right the focus has continued to be a lot on the the front end with distribution i think that the two trends that are worth noting though now is while initially insurtech were solving point solution you know start to, save, to see insurtech that are insurance companies themselves they actually are getting massive valuations so they are trying to on the end-to-end customer acquisition, product underwriting, claims, operations, and that's relatively new and that requires a level of scale that's quite different. And then second, and we we spend less time talking about it, but you have a number of insured that are extremely successful who are not trying to be pawn solution, but they are trying to be system supporting the industry, whether they are claims platforms or whether they are other type of technology platform, analytical platform, and they are gaining enormous traction too. So. While the uh, overall picture is slow to move, I think that in practice, you see uh, new types of tech emerging with scale at a relatively rapid pace, and it will be interesting to see what it does to the industry over the next two, three years.
0: And on that one, uh, Tongi, do you think regulators are actually also catching up to the fact that the rules might be slightly different, or are you seeing any reflections on that that either helps or hurts insurtechs?
1: In general, I've seen the regulators catching up, yes. And the question then depends on, on where they are catching up. There continues to be learning curves for regulators around advanced analytics, machine learning, new types of techniques. There are a number of constraints that are around the types of data that one can use. But I don't think that it's specifically around insure tech, it's about insurance in general and how the regulatory framework continues to evolve with the new type of techniques that carriers are using to, uh, underwrite risks. But in general, I, I would have said the regulators are catching up.
0: And Alex, in, in Asia, it's slightly different, right? Because we hear, I think, as insured try to use, you know, lots of data, public and private, use analytic and AI models and so on. What's the debate and how does it affect insure techs in terms of the regulations and the ethics of using AI for certain things?
3: Maybe I start off with sort of the trends as well, because it's, you know, I think the first generation of insured techs has largely been on PNC, but more broadly, it's really around commoditized products where the cost structure is quite clear. And because it's clear, it's probably easy to disrupt. So I think that's really where the space has been in the first generation. Now we're talking about the second generation where you get more data, you have more you know, access to third-party data, et cetera. Then it becomes a lot more interesting in terms of disrupting the underwriting and pricing space. And this is where... You know, you get more activity on the life side because it is more complicated on underwriting and onboarding and pricing, especially long tail products. And this is where if those insure techs get access or the expertise or the capabilities to that, then you'll see a, a seismic shift on the life side of insurtech So I think one of the things that we're seeing a lot in Asia, especially Singapore, India and some other countries, is access to primary data in the form of NRIC, which is a national identity card. For many of these countries, which is akin to like a social security card in the U.S., where but it also has all your financial information, all your medical information, et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine the amount of information that's publicly accessible to these companies and what you can do in terms of product innovation. Again, coming back to onboarding and and underwriting and pricing. So I feel that's the second generation, especially in Asia, where. You know, the fluidity to, uh, to disrupt is going to be there.
1: Hey, Alex, I ask a question to you. It's interesting. We, we've talked about insure tech in the context of insurance. There is this new phenomenon around ecosystems, and the ecosystems are actually expanding beyond the insurance industry itself. Do you think, based on what you see in Asia, that actually the third generation is actually going to be integration beyond insurance into, you know, broader end-to-end ecosystems? And will that also happen, you know, to other parts of the world? I I think, you know, certainly the U.S. is trailing behind on that front.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think Asia, in some respect, is leading in the ecosystem space. And it's really driven by China and some of the ecosystem players in Southeast Asia. They're really major, uh, what we call daily active use players, where people come to the platform, use that platform seven, eight, ten times a day. And insurance plays a big part in the customer journey, right? So I think that is very prevalent. It's a very prized space. I think a lot of insurers are now at the mercy, uh, to some extent, of these platform players because they have the last mile. They have the last mile access to the customer and that touch point on a daily basis, right? So insurance companies have access not very frequent, maybe one year, 10 years, 30 years. So we're talking about a, a totally new touch point that insurance companies don't have and they will not be, I would say, orchestrators of the ecosystem. They will be a participant of that ecosystem simply because they don't have the frequent relevant access to, to the end customer.
0: That's wonderful. And Simon, what, what's your view from
3: on this point that Tangi asked?
2: Yeah, I think what we see here is that indeed some of the larger carriers are all thinking about their yeah their footprint in the ecosystem world and expanding a little bit and experimenting, for example, large motor carriers in the mobility ecosystem. But I think it's Certainly not the level of, of Asia yet, it's early attempts. I think what is interesting in, in that regard is that other non-insurers, corporates like car OEMs, like telco companies, like energy companies that have customer access are now exploring insurance as another interesting vertical. So they are trying to embed insurance products into their, their main products, cross-sell to their customer base. I think that's really a trend uh, that, that seems to be starting here in Europe now. On a serious level, so we are not talking just about insurance distribution, but really that these non-insurers build their own insurtechs, you could say, their own insurance businesses in-house.
3: And if I can add, if I may, I, I think the real interesting space that we really haven't talked about is retirement and longevity. I just spoke to somebody at Singapore University and they said somebody that's born today will live to 170, right? So you can imagine what does that look like from a product perspective? What does that look like from a mortality table perspective in terms of pricing a product? So a lot of the incumbents are not really ready for that sort of retirement space where they're factoring in people living till 80, 90 years old, where in fact people are living till 160, for example. So it's a totally new space where I think insure with all that data and access to data and the ability to create products based on different kinds of data would be in a primary position.
0: Well, so here's a provocation just on this thread, because I think if you look at across spaces, right? So if you look, for example, a company called Square in the US, which basically said, we don't need those massive terminals at uh, at stores to pay, to swipe a card, right? You can actually have it portable, and cab drivers can carry that and just plug a thing into their phone and doggle into their phone and use it to take payments. And there have been several afterpay, the one that we just talked about, which says, don't pay now, just pay it in four installments, and so on. Has there been real innovation in terms of rethinking the product and the whole proposition, or are in short text today playing the game of we can do it better and faster because our tech systems are more efficient and more modern? Or are you are you seeing a real reinvention of what the proposition is? And I'd, I'd welcome a bit of a debate on this. Freddy, I,
1: I would answer at two levels. The first one is let's define the product. Of insurance and how it needs to evolve. And then let's define how you assess the risks against that product and how that needs to evolve. Historically, insurance as a product was paying a claim when something happened to you. Moving forward, I think society is asking insurance companies to move ahead in the value chain and say, prevent something bad from happening. It's It's from protection to prevention. And you start to see companies try to engage with changing behaviors to lower the risks and that's we are in the first inning of that journey but there is a lot of activity and energy getting in that place so the product is going to change we know that with self-driving car as an example the the nature of the product the risk is going to change from a personal lines to commercial lines coverage from something that is you know high frequency low severity to something very different so there will be a massive i think shift in the nature of the risk New risks are emerging, cybersecurity and others. So there will be a lot of innovation on the product front, I think, that we yet have to see. I think what we have seen is the innovation on how we underwrite the risk. In the past, we were looking for proxies for the risk credit score in the U.S. for how people drive their car. I think technology is now allowing us to measure real behaviors. And if you look at the last couple of months where we've seen the most activities, I would argue, in insurtech in the U.S., has been massive consolidation in the space of telematics. And this is where I suspect the most fierce innovation will happen now is we have access to new information that is much more uh, predictive and uh, carriers and regulators are going to evolve to adopt those new sources of data. But eventually the big, big change is going driven by the evolution of product from protection to prevention. And that I would argue is just only in the beginning of starting.
2: I would agree that there are many things uh, you mentioned that that are going to change in the next couple of years with regard to the risks, with regard also to customer interaction, how people buy insurance. I mentioned this this embedded insurance that is starting in in Europe. At the same time, I mean, uh, when you look at the current insurtech landscape uh, and how they make money, I would say there is not so much reinvention yet. This is making things better, uh, improving certain processes, certain steps of the value chains of insurers, Maybe having a better customer experience, but essentially doing the same thing that insurers have done in the past. So I would say, I mean, today not so much reinvention. Tomorrow, I can see that, and also the, the potential for that.
0: And what about like uh, I think the challenge, Alex? You said child born today that it struck me this is, is going to live, uh, he or she will live to well over well over a hundred. Uh, are in really kind of and you take that and you take things like in our lifetime quantum computing and real acceleration and ai as as this thing matures do you see a different world of how i mean you guys are probably among the world's uh, leading experts on this thing what what do you see how does this culminate for Insurtechs?
3: yeah so i was saying you know for Insurtechs, a lot of them are uh, looking at data differently and looking at the onboarding and the customer journey quite differently incumbents you know really look at uh, products from a risk lens and they price everything from a risk lens but when you when you have A lot of these insured techs, they take a very deep customer lens to it. And therefore, the way they build products and the way they price products is going to be quite different over the long-term horizon, right? So, you know, obviously there's behavioral aspects to data. There is health data, all the data that's accumulated that goes into the product that needs to be factored in, especially from a a longevity product, right? And a lot of the long-term products are based on, let's say an actuarial table that was was built before World War II, let's say, right? So they're becoming obsolete in terms of how things are priced and how things are looked at in terms of risk, price, and onboarding. So I think all that will change when InsurTechs will redefine how things will be onboarded, how things will be priced, and how things will be resolved in terms of customer pain points.
0: So you think your sense, just uh, to not put words in your mouth, Julie, born today, who's likely to live to well over 100, is more likely to be at buying her insurance from what we call quote-unquote insurtechs today than perhaps incumbents even.
3: If they do understand that customer well, so back to Simon's point about really trusting the brand and trusting you know, the, the, the whole package, right? I think if that's in place, yes. But again, it's insurtechs' early days, it's first generation. And again, once they build up their scale and once they build up their credibility, Sure, I think that's inevitability that's going to happen.
0: And Simon, do you think, the in, back to the European industry structure, will, will the industry structure allow InsurTechs to get to that point where Julie buys her insurance from an insuretech?
2: I think we are at a decisive moment uh, here. I think it's it's not clear yet who will be the winners in this whole space. We see, I mean, of course, insuretechs with all their funding, and as said, no disruption or real big reinvention yet. However, the potential and a lot of skill and, and so on um, at the same time, I think there are also other relevant uh, players uh, at the party. I mean, the, the big insurance groups here have also massive firepower. Uh, they have big fundings, they invest significantly into innovation. We see also that that other players are capturing significant shares of the market. Take for example, price comparison websites. It's not a new model, but it's a model that is actually the fastest growing channel in, in Europe uh, at the moment still. They are also investing into technology, uh, improving their processes, adding analytics and so on. And they are gaining a lot of scale in, in many of the European markets. And then, I mean, as I said, also big corporations now uh, discovering insurance for them. So tech companies discovering insurance. So I think it's really quite exciting to see now uh, who will scale fast enough to uh, become a winner in this. Because we see also, I mean, in digital insurance here, uh, in the past at least, and in some markets like motor insurance, It was always winner takes it all so the ones that were really scaling fast and first uh, are still the the market leaders and i think here it's it's not clear yet who will win
1: if i was to be a little provocative pradeep i would say that insure techs have done well when technology could be a solution to a customer experience issue for a short tail problem i think the jury still as to whether they will be able to compete for long tail risks where the value is less in the experience, but really comes down to effective management of capital, and where a big part of the return is is less to do with underwriting with but with other factors and i I'll be interested to see what happened to the challenge Alex has just framed for us, and who's going to win that.
3: I think it's not a winner or a loser situation. I think you know both can win here, especially in Asia because the markets are so underpenetrated. we're seeing market penetration less than you know five percent in most markets throughout Asia, so long ways to go in terms of getting to a saturation point. And there's a room for both insurtechs and incumbents. The question is, you know, which space, which country, which segment, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's where, you know, need to see the tea leaves on where this trend is going to go in what particular country.
0: Great, great. Well, since I have the luxury of having the three of you with me, one final round robin, just really quick, given everything you know, given what we just talked about, your deep experience and also the fact that we're coming out of a perhaps uh, once in hopefully our lifetime pandemic pause for the world and and, and the changes that brings with it. In one word, are you hugely optimistic for insurtechs, moderately optimistic, somewhat pessimistic coming out of this thing? And we'll just go around. Alex?
3: I would say moderately optimistic if they can find a way to make money profits uh, quite quickly, because I I don't think investors can wait too long for returns to come. So if companies can find a way to make money and, and make disruption happen, yeah, I, I think they're, uh, they're in a good spot.
2: Simon? Moderately optimistic as well. I think a lot of positive uh, trends that favor InsurTechs, like digital uh, customer behavior, um, like all the new opportunities we discussed in this uh, podcast, at the same time also increasing competition and attacks from other angles as we also discussed. So we will see.
0: And Tongi?
1: On one hand, I'm extremely optimistic because I think it's a a once-in-a-lifetime change in customer behaviors that will favor the insure tech that are providing better experiences. At the same time, I do think that the reality of valuation of certain insure tech will be challenged in the future because they're going to need to start delivering results in ways that uh, will be hard for them to achieve from an underwriting standpoint. And so I think there will be a redistribution and indication of investors to where do insure tech really create value, and that will be harmful to a couple of them.
0: How fascinating. So we started off with uh, Square Afterpay, $29 billion, relatively new company, buying another relatively new company from U.S. to Australia, cross-border, $29 billion. We then talked about what the view was for, uh, for text in each of the regions, a little bit on which parts of the business system, PNC, life, underwriting, claims, distribution, where's the action happening, and a little bit to the future. What does AI, quantum computing, regulators, and all that stuff? what does it mean? Do they add headwinds or tailwinds for Insuretech? Let me bring this to a close and thank you all for sharing your experience. The risks InsurTechs present to traditional business models are real based on this discussion, as innovation and specifically digital innovation continues to redefine this industry like it has all other industries. For established insurers, although, InsurTechs are also a great partner to drive the adoption of digital technologies across the value chain, as well as kind of be the canary in the coal mine to see what propositions actually can work before they actually could be adopted by some of the incumbents. And so this is a, all in all a hugely positive time and a very exciting time to be in this space. So thank you very much to my colleagues in this panel, Tongi, Alex, and Simone for offering your perspectives. And thank you all audiences for listening to McKinsey on Insurance. And don't forget to subscribe to McKinsey on Insurance wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.